Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. If you have a Bible, open it with me to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. So it's fall, right? I think it's officially fall at this point, and fall is my favorite season. I love fall. It has all your favorite things with weather, uh, sports. You got football and basketball on, and I guess baseball. I've actually been watching the World Series, and it's been kind of fun. Not typically a baseball guy, but you got all the sports happening. Uh, You got the holidays coming up. Um, But also, fall means PSL season. You know what I mean when I say that? PSL, pumpkin spice lattes. How many of you ladies are pumpkin spice latte fans? Yeah. Fellas, anybody? You're going to admit it? All right. Yeah. So I'm not a pumpkin spice latte kind of guy because I can't do milk in my coffee, um, but I like pumpkin spice things a whole lot. And this time of year is perfect time for that. Uh, a few days ago, or I guess a week or so ago, Abby brought home a package of these bad boys, Oreo pumpkin spice uh, flavored Oreos. And let me just tell you, I know that that sounds weird, but they are amazing, right? They are so good, and you can get them at Kroger today, right? I actually bought two yesterday on sale. And so uh, these things are so good. Like she brought them home, and I tried a couple the first day, and next thing you know, every evening, I was, I was like five of them, you know? And I found myself at work just thinking about the pumpkin spice Oreos. And, you know, just thinking when I get home, man, I'm just gonna go to town on some pumpkin spice Oreos. And I don't know if you do this or not, but I have little kids and uh, I like to hide things that I really like in the pantry. You know what I mean, parents? And so these were up high, they were high, they were under some stuff, right? But apparently my kids found them and and they got into them. And so one day I came home and man, it's just been a long day and I was just thinking all day, I want some pumpkin spice Oreos. I'm craving them, I need them. And I got home, I saw the package sitting in the pantry and this is what I found. (laughs) Empty, completely empty, not a thing in there. And uh, that's horrible, isn't it? So I just screamed, everyone's grounded. (laughs) Like whoever did this, you're grounded, you know? And it might have been me that emptied them. I'm not sure and didn't throw away the package. But that happens a lot in our house. I had this craving, and whenever I went to go find it, it was empty. Doesn't that stink? That's no fun, right, whenever you go and do that. In our text today, Jesus is going to experience something similar. And he's not going to eat pumpkin spice Oreos, but he does have a craving. He is hungry, the text says. And he goes looking for something that he's been craving, and he doesn't find it. He doesn't find what he's looking for, right? So Mark chapter 11, before we, uh, the passage that we're really gonna get into, um, there's a, a, a really cool scene that happens at the beginning of Mark chapter 11 that I'm sure you're familiar with. It's called the triumphal entry. This is where Jesus uh, rides into town. He rides into Jerusalem and he goes straight to the temple and he's riding on a donkey and everybody's waving the palm branches. This is that time of year where like the kids uh, at church, it's Palm Sunday every year. The kids have to come in waving the palm branches and they're not sure why, but mom told them to. And so they're doing that. That's the triumphal entry. But what's happening in that scene is really cool. Like Jesus is intentionally setting a scene. 
There's a number of things, and we don't have time to get into it today, but, but he rides from the east. He starts at the Mount of Olives, this Bethany area. He rides from Bethany through the eastern gate, goes straight to the temple, riding on a donkey while people are declaring, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. All of that is messianic. All of that is, is Jesus declaring the king is here. Okay, that's what he's doing in the triumphal entry. And then what happens next? Honestly, it just gets kind of, kind of strange. And that's the part we're gonna talk about today. Before we do that, I'd love for us to pray. And so I'll pray for all of us. You pray for yourself that God would speak to you. Let's pray. God, we ask that, that you would speak now uh, through your word, through your spirit. Would you uh, illuminate this text? Help us to see the things that we need to see. Help us to truly evaluate our lives to see what's real and what's fake. And help us to boldly and courageously respond to you. We love you and we're listening. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, Mark chapter 11. Start in verse 12 with me. So the triumphal entry has just happened. It says that Jesus rode into the temple, looked around because it was late, went straight back out to Bethany, right? Verse 12. The next day, when they went out from Bethany, he was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree with leaves, he went to find out if there was anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Verse 15, they came to Jerusalem and he went into the temple and began to throw out those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves and would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. He was teaching them this. Is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. The chief priests and the scribes heard it and started looking for a way to kill him, for they were afraid of him because the whole crowd was astonished by his teaching. Whenever evening came, they would go out of the city. Verse 20, early in the morning, as they were passing by, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Then Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look. The fig tree that you cursed has withered. All right, so th let's stop there. That's, that's our main text today. And if we're honest, like kind of strange, isn't it? There's a lot of weird things that just happened. Jesus is talking to a tree. He goes into the temple, gets mad, throws over some tables and, st and stuff. And you're like, what's that about? Goes back by the tree. And then if you keep reading, he's going to do a devotional on prayer. <laughs> kind of strange. Jesus is doing some odd things there. I want to show you, if you're a note taker, uh, what's happening in this text. Very simply, I've got three T's for you. We're going to look at the tree, we're going to look at the temple, and we're going to see what it means for us today. All right? Very simply, the tree, the temple, and today. So first, what's happening here with this tree? Verses 12 through 14. This fig tree that Jesus goes by. Verse 12 uh, tells us that Jesus was hungry just like I was going to look for the Oreos, right? Jesus was, was hungry. And that tells us a couple of things. First, it tells us that he's human. We know that Jesus was both fully God and fully man, right? He's fully man. He's hungry. He got hungry just like you and I do. He had cravings. His, his stomach was growling. His mouth was watering. Like, he was hungry here. That tells us he's human. He identifies with you. He's been through all the things that you've been through. He's faced all the things that you've faced. That's good, right? But I think more than that in this text, the, the point isn't on the fact that Jesus is human, although that is true. I think the point is that Jesus was looking for something. 
He's hungry, he's looking for something. And I think that's, that's the main point. He, and, he, and he's not going to find what he's looking for. All right? And it says that he saw a tree that had leaves on it, verse 13. He, and, and so he goes up to find if it had anything on it that he was looking for, meaning fruit. He's looking for, for fruit, but it says he found nothing but leaves. It's interesting because Mark says it wasn't fig season yet, right? So you're reading that and you're going, well, why are you going to look for figs if it's not fig season yet? What's happening here is even though it's not technically fig season yet, if the fig tree had leaves on it, which this one does, Mark says it twice, right? It has leaves on it. That would mean that there are these little buds, these sweet, edible little buds that shepherds and people would, would eat from um, that, that were good, but they weren't the fig yet. But they did mean that the fig was coming. You see it? And this tree had nothing. It didn't even have, didn't even have the buds on it yet. And the buds were saying the fruit is coming. So that's why it says that Jesus found nothing but the leaves. And I think here's the point of what's happening with this tree. This tree has a false appearance of health. Like it looks good, it's got leaves, but when it comes down to it, it doesn't have the thing that you actually want a fruit tree to have, and that's fruit, right? So it just looks good. It has a fake, false appearance, but it's not fulfilling its purpose. And it tells us, verse 14, that he gets angry, yells at the tree, says, may no one ever eat fruit from you again, right? And again, let's be honest, that's weird. <laughs> that's odd that Jesus just did that. He's yelling at this tree. Like imagine if you're at the park with your kids and you see some dude over there and he's, he's face to face with this tree and he's just mad and he's yelling at that tree and he's just giving that tree the what for? That's strange, isn't it? Like you'd be gathering your kids. <laughs> Even if he's not yelling at the tree, imagine he's face to face and he's having a polite conversation with the tree. Like you're getting your kids out of there, right? That's strange, it's weird. We know Jesus wasn't weird, we know he's not uh, crazy, so what's he doing here? Well, Mark is telling us about this tree, then the temple, and then the tree again. Verse 20 and 21, let's look at this. It's gonna tell us the rest of the story of this tree after Jesus just cursed it. So, so they leave the tree, they go to the temple, now we see the tree again in verse 20. It says, early in the morning as they were passing by, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. This tree is now dead, like dead, dead, right? From the roots up. Verse 21, then Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. So what's happening here? Mark does this a lot. This is a literary device that Mark uses that has been coined, like this is the phrase, it's called a Markin sandwich, right? A Markin sandwich. So he talks about the tree. This would be the top layer of bread. Then he talks about the temple. This is, this is the meat. And then he goes back to the tree. Do you see the bread that, or the, the sandwich that's happening here? This is what Mark, Mark does. And just like in any sandwich, the meat is the important part, isn't it? Right? That's why Arby says, we have the meats. They don't say we have the breads. <laughs> the meat is the important part. And so this tree story, Mark is telling us this story, um, and Jesus used it as, a, as an illustration or a metaphor to show you a deeper meaning. He's wanting you to see the temple scene and what Jesus is trying to convey in that, that it's about the people. In fact, fun fact for you, in the Old Testament, the people of God or Israel was referred to as fig tree. Fig tree, Jeremiah chapter eight, verse 13, Hosea chapter nine, verse 10, Micah chapter seven, verse one. 
And so Jesus is intentionally using this fig tree to paint a picture for his people, okay? That's what's happening. And, and this illustration helps us understand this kind of crazy scene that happens in the temple. So now let's look at that, the, t- the temple, verses 15 through 19. So what's happening in this scene? All right, Jesus goes to the temple and he found them buying and selling stuff. All right, they're, they're buying and selling and Jesus gets really, really mad. In fact, he gets physical. He starts throwing stuff, like he's throwing tables and chairs. Um, he, he, he's mad about it, right? Like if we can just admit, that's kind of odd. It seems out of character for Jesus. I mean, he is, he is really, really mad. In fact, John tells us in John chapter two that Jesus made a whip, right? So, so he's, he's angry here. I remember as a kid um, seeing a TV show on at my grandma's house. It, it's kind of strange how like little memories from your childhood just stick in your memory, isn't it? Um, one time I was, I was a kid and I was at my grandma's house and um, just in the background, she had one of those really weird Jesus TV shows on. You know what I'm talking about? Like Jesus shows and movies nine times out of 10 are gonna be weird and cheesy. And this was one of those, right? And it was in the scene where Jesus is in the temple and he's flipping stuff and he's throwing a hissy fit is what it looks like. And I just remember as a kid thinking, Jesus is mean, you know? But obviously he's not. We know that he's not. So what's happening here? Here's what I would say. The same thing that was happening with the tree. That's what's happening in the temple. The same thing. Jesus goes to the temple. He's looking for something. He has a craving to find the thing that he's looking for, but he didn't find it. Instead, he finds nothing but leaves. Nothing but leaves. He just finds just the appearance of religion. The key verse is verse 17, where Jesus says, it says he was teaching them, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. See, Jesus is mad because this buying and selling thing is happening, and it's happening in the temple. It's happening in this area called the Gentile court. The Gentile court was the biggest area of the temple. If you study the, the, old, the old temple, it was divided into different sections, and depending on who you were and what area you were from, you had different levels of access, right? The Gentile court was open to everybody, Gentiles, women, Everybody could be in there. And what was happening is these people, these merchants were setting up and they were selling animals and goods that people needed to buy in order to make their sacrifice and be made right with God. You see it? So people would travel into Jerusalem from all over. They're not gonna travel with these animals that they're gonna go to the temple and sacrifice. So they would go to the temple to buy what they needed in order to make the sacrifice. And what's happening here is they were, they were jacking up the prices on these animals on these people so that they couldn't afford to buy them, right? They're price gouging. They're, 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 they're hiking up the prices. Some people say as much as 16 times the normal price so that people couldn't afford, or even if they could afford it, They were just charging them way too much. Even, Mark specifically mentions the doves, right? And the doves, that was the smallest, cheapest animal that that was set aside so that the poorest of people could afford to still make a sacrifice and be made right with God. And, And they're doing this, they're price gouging, they're hiking up the price on these doves. Jesus's family, by the way, sacrificed doves because apparently they were poor. Luke chapter two tells us, right? So, so that's what's happening here. That's the scene. They're charging way too much for these animals in order for people to come in and worship God. That was the purpose of the temple. 
And Jesus is mad because they've made this whole thing that's supposed to be about the worship of God for all the nations. They've made it about transactions and trade, taking advantage of people, making a buck or two. That's what's happened. And Jesus says, you made this into a den of robbers. You made it into a den of robbers. Now, Mark's emphasis here, I don't think, is on the idea that they were charging too much for the animals and taking advantage of people, though that was true. Here's why I don't think that. Well, Mark says that Jesus threw out the sellers and the buyers, right? He throws them all out, meaning this whole thing needs to be dumped out and started over. It's like whenever your computer won't work and you pull the plug and plug it back in, see if that works, you know? It's kind of what's happening. It's a reset. Why, why, is he, why is he wanting to reset everything? It's because they, all of the people, had made it into a place that was once intended to be about the worship of the one true God. They had made it into a place that was outside of its purpose, just like the tree that wasn't producing fruit, right? Wasn't living up to its purpose. Jesus clearly says that its purpose is to be a house of prayer for all the nations, a place that blesses people and they can come and they can, they can worship God. All nations can come and do this. Instead, they've made it into a den of robbers, which a den of robbers is talking about a cave where robbers would go and hide after they've just done a crime, right? It was a place where they would go and they would hide. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's saying that they are hiding behind this false appearance of religious activity. They're hiding behind it. So essentially, here's what's happening. Jesus went to the temple and he didn't find fruit. He didn't find any proof of, of life. He didn't find any, any proof of, of purpose here in the temple. Instead, what he found is nothing but leaves. He found the false appearance of religion. So he cursed it, just like he did with the tree. And just like the tree withered up in verses 20 and 21, so does the temple. Flip over a page to Mark chapter 13. Verse one, Jesus is talking to his disciples and it says this, as he was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, teacher, look, what massive stones, what impressive buildings. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. Jesus is saying, this temple, just like this tree, is going to wither from the roots up. Not one stone is going to be standing on, it, on itself any longer. And Jesus, as he always is, is right. He's telling the truth. In AD 70, Rome comes in, destroys everything, destroys the temple. That's why there's no temple in Jerusalem today. Like, if you go to Jerusalem, you're not going to find a temple. And so from this point on, like, the Bible starts to speak of the temple in different terms. It, it, it uses kind of two meanings for the temple from this point on. It, it means both the church and it means you. So it means the church, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Anytime uh, the temple is mentioned after this, it's talking about this idea of the church. It says this, don't you, which that is the plural version of you, so it could be don't y'all, yourselves, know that y'all are God's temple. The church is now God's place where people are to come and worship. All the nations are supposed to come and worship, worship him. And so I think it's worth asking is that when Jesus looks at our church, what does he see? 
Does he see a church that is on mission, that, that is fulfilling its purpose, a place that is a place of worship that's pointing all nations to Jesus? That's the purpose, right? So are we living that? But another way that scripture talks about the temple after the real temple gets destroyed is it talks about us, you and me, as individuals being the temple of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, it says this, don't you, this time it's singular, means you, means me, know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought at a price, so glorify God with your body or with your temple. Do you see it? So now, Jesus says, I'm cursing this temple and it is destroyed in AD 70, and now he's pointing us to you and I are the temple where worship of God is to exist. Right? So this leads us into what does this mean for us today? What is this crazy story about this fig tree and this temple scene? What does it mean for us today? Here's what I think every single one of us needs to wrestle with and ask ourselves today. Ask yourself, when Jesus looks at your life, what does he see? When Jesus looks at your life, does he see fruit or nothing but leaves? Nothing but leaves. Does he find fruit? Does he find the evidence of a real relationship with him? And when we're talking about fruit, like that's something you can't fake. Fruit is evidence of, of real life-giving, producing action in your life, right? He's looking for fruit in your life. That's something that only the gospel of Jesus can produce. You can't just muster up and say, I think I'm gonna make some Jesus fruit in my life. It only comes through transformation of the gospel, that you place your faith and your trust in Jesus because he's done what only he can do. He died a death you should have died. He rose from the dead, conquering death, conquering sin and hell forever. And then you place your faith in him as your savior saying, I can't do any of this on my own. I'm just a sinner, but I'm trusting you to save me. When you do that, and that alone, then transformation starts to happen in your life. John 15, 16, Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit. Fruit is the evidence that you're really his. And it should be evident in your life. Galatians 5 famously talks about what's called the fruit of the Spirit. These, these things should be growing and they should be evident in your life if you're truly a believer of his. Galatians 5.22 says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, which we don't talk a whole lot about faithfulness, I feel like, gentleness, and self-control. These are the things that Scripture says begin to grow naturally in your life as a result of a real relationship with Jesus. If you don't see those things growing in your life, you need to question whether or not you're truly his. Fruit naturally grows out of a real relationship with, with Jesus. And it is the evidence that you're really his. Not only is fruit evidence, but fruit is just a satisfying and life-giving thing. And you know that once you come to Jesus, that's your purpose. To be satisfyingly rich to this world, that this thing that just adds life and brings life to people's 
own lives, right? That's your purpose, is to know Jesus, not in a fake kind of outward appearance kind of way, but to really know him and then to extend the invitation to the nations, as Mark says. Matthew 28, it's the Great Commission. Acts chapter one, verse eight. Jesus says, uh, you're gonna receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. That's your purpose. That's your purpose. So, in this passage, the main thing that we see is that Jesus is righteously angry toward fake religion. That's what he's doing in the temple. He's righteously angry toward fake religion, which, by the way, should stir your affections for him and cause you to worship him, that he's not okay with just good enough. He's not okay with you just getting by or, or fooling the people around you. Jesus wants more for you. He's not okay with it. He's righteously angry towards fake religion. He hates fake. He's not impressed with the leaves. Maybe the scariest passage in, in, in the New Testament is in Matthew chapter seven, where Jesus is talking about at the last day, those standing before Jesus in judgment, it says this, it says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all of this stuff for you? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons in your name and, and do many miracles in your name? And he's gonna say to them, yeah, but I never knew you. I never knew you, so depart from me. Matthew 3.10 says it this way, that the ax is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Like, you need to know. Like, you need to know that one day you will stand before Jesus. And fake is not gonna cut it. Fake is not gonna fool anybody. And you might be fooling the people around you, you might be fooling even yourself, but it's not gonna fool Jesus on that day. That's why he's so angry in this scene. Why is he so angry about fake? It's because of this. He wants more for you. He wants better for you. I grew up playing, playing sports and um, I had some coaches who were just great men but they also knew how to get after you when you needed it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not talking about guys who are just cranky and mean. I'm talking about guys who I know they love me because they were able to get after me when I needed it. Like, I remember I had, I had a football coach who he, he'd do the thing, and, and maybe some of you guys play football, you know what I'm talking about, but he, he would walk up and he would just grab your face mask, and then the whole time he's yelling and screaming at you, he's just jerking your head all around, you can't even pay attention to what he's saying, you know? I remember film sessions where, you know, Saturday mornings after, after the game and we'll be in there watching film and in front of the whole team, he'll just pause the screen and be like, Rainey, what are you doing there? You know, and I was, you know, it's kind of, kind of a scary thing, but that's what a good coach does. That's what a good coach does. He knows how to get after you whenever, whenever you need it. I'm sure you can think of coaches or great teachers in your life as well that you really respect and you love. It's not because they were easy on you. In fact, I would say a, a, a teacher or a coach that doesn't get after you, they just let you fail, that's not a good coach, that's not a good teacher. The good ones, the ones that you admire, the ones that you think back on, they are the ones that know how to get after you whenever you need it, right? Because they're not okay with status quo. They want the best for you. 
They want the best out of you. And that's what I think Jesus is doing here. He wants more for you. He wants better for you than just fake religion. He wants better for you than just the appearance of having it all together when you really don't. I think too many people today are, are fine with just the appearance of religion. Too many people are, are good with just good enough or being a little bit better than the guy next to me. But that's not gonna cut it in the end. So what I would ask you is this, is Jesus right now calling you away from fake and into real? Is that, is that how, like I believe that the Lord is calling people who maybe have been tricking a lot of people for a long time that they have some kind of real relationship with the Lord, but, on the, but, if, we're, but if we're honest with ourselves, it's just a bunch of leaves. Like it's just the appearance of, of health when, when there's no real growth, there's no real life that is coming out of you. Listen, Jesus wants real, not fake. And, and he's willing to clean house and throw some stuff around to get your attention if he needs to. So ask yourself this morning, when Jesus comes looking at your life and he has a craving to, to see some fruit, when he comes looking at your life, what does he see? Does he see fruit or nothing but leaves? Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.